Thank you. Well done. Well done. In my devotions yesterday, I mentioned, but I love this. I think this is a good intro here for what I want to share with you today, which was supposed to be the last message in Living Transformed, but I've extended it, so I think next Sunday is going to be the last. We're going to dive into the life of David today. But here's a paraphrase of a paraphrase, a pastor's paraphrase, okay, from Matthew uh, 27 that I just read. But here, here it goes. Listen to this. Listen to this. I've, I've never seen this before. Love God and love people. Everything else is a detailed working out of these two commands. Did you hear that? I, I better read it again. You're sitting there like, I don't get, I've never heard that before. Listen, this, a paraphrase of a paraphrase. Love God and love people. Everything else is a detailed working out of these two commands. And for us around here, we say, that's the living transform piece. You're never done. The songwriter had it right. If you're not dead, you're not done. You're growing. You're getting better. That means you're constantly in the middle of, never done with, being changed more and more into his likeness as he conforms us into his likeness. So really, living transformed is all about change. And we did it in the present active tense because so many times we point back, that's when I was changed. Okay, yes, we made him Savior, we made him Lord, but when we are living transformed, that means we're open palms up right now, doesn't it? And we welcome change. And we learn today from the life of David. Change never began, never stops until we draw our first breath in heaven. So we're going to dig around in 1 Samuel uh, 17 and 21 chapters, and we're going to look at some of the life and times of David. I, I love to read it, and a good, a good thing for you to do in your personal time of reading, if you get in a dry spell, just go to the passages of different, different 1 and 2 Samuel and Chronicles, some of that, and just read the sections about David's life. It, it's, it's remarkable. But as I go through this, and we we'll dig into the Word today, could I just encourage you again? Uh, don't be mad because I didn't hug you. Don't be sidetracked by that. Just focus on the word. Welcome his word into your heart. Open your heart. Open your life to God's word. How do you know it has the power through the Holy Spirit to bring changes in your life? But you welcome it. You bring it in. In you, in you, in you to bring lasting change. So let's start with, uh, I want to I highlight a couple of incidences, really, how they tie together that I don't, I don't think I've ever looked at before. But obviously, there was an epic battle, and we think of David, we can't help but think of Goliath, and that was one of his most famous mo moments. That's what kind of launched his career, if you will. Not in God's eyes, but in man's eyes. What launched his career was when God saw him being faithful on the hillside with the sheep, right? Would you agree with that? That's what launched it. But let me just kind of retell the story. So the story today is the story of David from God's word. Uh, in those days, it was so common that nations uh, to, to resolve conflict by choosing a, a champion, a gladiator, if you will, to represent them in the center of the field of conflict, the field of fight. Now, David at that time was not a soldier. He was a shepherd. Listen, listen. Th these threads run so true. Listen, don't miss this. The only reason he was there on the edge of the fray 
This gives me goosebumps because he was doing what his father told him to do. How many of you know that was the posture of David all along? But he was doing what his earthly father told him to do. He was sent. He was to check on his brothers. He was to deliver care packages. I don't know if they had DoorDash or whatever, but he must have been it. But he was to deliver the food to his brothers and to get the latest war news and uh, to bring it back to his father. I think he had three brothers, if I remember reading correctly, in the, in the conflict. But while he was there, he couldn't help but hear and see Goliath taunting, trashing, and terrorizing the armies of Israel. And that's synonymous with the army of God, the, the, the people of God. The fighting men of Israel ran for their tents when he came out looking for a challenger. They were looking to somebody else. Not me, I'm not going out there. He was threatening. He was threatening to them. He was threatening about them. And he was threatening not only that, but what really galled David was he was threatening their God that David knew and loved that he had met, that he had known. So David was there. He couldn't help it under his father's orders, and he witnessed it, and he didn't like it at all. I mean, that stirred up some of a, something of a fighting spirit deep within him, and he was thinking to himself, he must have said something like this, this enemy needs to be faced and fought. If no one else goes out to fight him, I will. Oh, my, that caused no small stir. In fact, no one took him seriously, especially his brothers. I mean, come on. Have you ever been disgusted at your brothers? I used to challenge the bully of the neighborhood when my brothers were there to back me up, and then I'd step out of the way and let them have at it, you know? I'd kind of taunt them, and, he, and then, hey, deal with my brothers. But no one took him seriously, and really, they probably despised him as brothers because, you know, you're kind of without honor many times, your family, especially those of us. How many of us are the youngest in the family? Sometimes ours is not a happy story, isn't that right? That was David's story as well. He, but but down, the bottom line was, I mean, they knew. I mean, he was going to surely be dead in a few moments. But David, long before and long after, but in that instance, he saw the invisible, so he was able to do the impossible, or God was able to do the impossible through him. Because it's not about our greatness, it's all about him. Agreed? And so he might have thought to himself, and you know, I was thinking, jotting the margin, that probably, we haven't thought about this, he was probably composing and, and, and singing psalms on the spot while he was doing this. Who knows? Kind of like Nate was making up songs today. I think David was doing that as well. I didn't see those words on the screen. It kind of confused me as I was moving around. But he must have been thinking this, a forerunner, if God is for me, who can stand against him and me? You know, sometimes we say that, but it's more about, me than, more about me than him, but it's really all about him. Who can stand against him? So I thought about that, and I thought about another passage, uh, a, a story in there, but, um, and I, I want to come to that and, and, and talk about the character of God and what he's about. But let's look at, at chapter 17, verse 40. So this is David. He's preparing for the battle. How do we know we prepare for the battle by the way we live? We prepare for the battle largely ahead of time. So here's what he did. Listen, he took his staff in his hand and he chose himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's bag. He was the first one to have a man bag. I'm starting to see those now right here, right? I think I saw one or two this morning. He had his pouch there. He put them in. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near 
to the Philistine. So he was kind of initiating the conflict, wasn't he? Wow. Once David gained permission, he didn't just go out on his own. You can read about it. He did some things before he faced Goliath. You say, Pastor, you may be reaching on this, but I, I don't think so. So I can picture him going to the brook because he was prepping for the battle and he was prepping for it as, as a kid in the fields, as I mentioned. But he probably got down on his knees and carefully selected his ammunition. Think about that. I'll bet you he did. And I guarantee you, he was having a pray now moment or doing some breath prayers right then, like, help, Lord, what have you gotten me into? But he was on his knees before the battle. Don't tell me words of the song. He was probably, he was probably making up, the Lord is my shepherd, I not shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll feel no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Can you relate to that? I think that's what he was doing as he selected that ammunition. He got it right. He decided to bow down before the battle. He knew what it took long before then because he was a longtime passionate worshiper. When the lights and the cameras weren't around, when he wasn't on the platform, he wasn't on the throne, he knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. Do you? Is it yours or is it his? He knew it was the Lord's. But he knew that we have to spend time prepping ahead for the battle or you know what, you'll find yourself ammunitionless. I think that's a word. I can hyphenate anything and it goes through my spell check. <laughs> ammunitionless. So it's not just about David today, but it's the ramifications for our life. Be intentional, pack your pouch, and be ready. Because you never know when God opportunities are going to arise. You never know when you're going to be called into the battle. But he's saying to us, make sure that you're down on your knees first and do this in your life and my life before the day surges and spins out of control. I mean, get focused, Father. This isn't about me, it's about you. Bring glory to your name through me today. He learned that. He's teaching us. Don't you love the Old Testament stories? They teach us where we are. Wow. Goliath was insulted by the boy, David. The Bible says he was ruddy and handsome, different things that, that, that referred to, but he was just a kid. Um, ruddy, maybe he was a redhead, I don't know. But David was coming after him, a seasoned veteran of war, and he took the personal insults to a new level, and David simply responded, I come against you in the name of the Lord. He will deliver you into my hands. It's not about David, is it? It's all about him. I'm going to prevail and I'll cut your head off. Can you imagine? I guess that's David talking trash, right? I wonder if the sound carried across the valley. I wonder if the people, I wonder if the armies of Israel heard it. Let me pick it up in verse 48. 1748, 1 Samuel. So it was when the Philistine, Goliath, arose and came and drew near now to meet David. David was coming at him, so he drew near. That David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Don't you love that? He didn't cower. He engaged. He moved toward him. Toward him. Let me read on. Then David put his hand in his bag, the prep bag, and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. Man, I didn't need all the action adventures and all that stuff when I was growing up. My mom would read these in living color, all these Bible stories, and I mean, I thought that was the end, you know? 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. And I I want you to underscore that in your mind because I'm gonna come back to that and then especially next week. There was no sword in the hand of David. What did he have? A sling. A sling. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, what did they do? They fled. So, a lot of us have heard that story before. Our culture still refers to David and Goliath for underdogs and all of those kinds of things. But a second one I wanna call your attention to is, is unlikely, in an unlikely way, connected to this story. And it occurred about 10 years later, and I wanna give you some backstory there because by that time, David had become like a general in the army and, 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 uh, and actually the son-in-law of King Saul. I mean, that victory over Goliath, I mean, that just elevated him. Overnight fame, overnight fame. And I think David handled it pretty well. The people didn't, Saul didn't, a lot of people didn't, but I think David handled it pretty well. And, and, and think about this, how would you like this? Because David defeated Goliath early, the Bible says that he and his family were freed from paying any taxes for the rest of their lives. that almost make it worth going out to meet the giant, wouldn't it? Yeah, his giant wasn't the IRS, but it turned out to be that, maybe. So he enjoyed great popularity and military prestige, and he began to engage in battle after battle after battle, and he led the nation. And by the way, somewhere along the line, I was mentioning a staff summit this week, David traded his sling for a sword, because how many of you know the tactics change as we move along? He was a mighty man of the sword, he became that, and he led the nation. Valiant, he was a general, he was a leader, he was a warrior. He was a fighter who showed no fear with the sword of the Lord in his hands. And so the nation, you know how we are, they begin to sing David's praises and Saul was insecure and he was overcome with jealousy. That's the danger of it all. What was the song that the women chanted when they came in from victory? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his what? And could I just parenthetically note this, and it's true in your life, so I I want us to draw parallels that'll help us. People who are very insecure, like King Saul was, and very, very insecure, always detest detest it when somebody else is blessed. I'm telling you that's true, and that's that's where criticism arises from a lot of times. Even when you're only doing what you've been told to do. I mean, David was only fulfilling orders. He was doing what the king had asked him to do. He's doing what his father, what his brother, you know, he was only doing that. But nonetheless, he was criticized by people that were jealous of his success. Maybe I could say it another way that don't you think this could be true that people who give up on their dreams that they once held and had, they resent you when you start living yours. Come on. And here's the thing, when we read a story like this and we see how awful and how ugly jealousy was on Saul, it doesn't look any better on you or me, does it? Does it? No. Well, King Saul, somewhere along the way, stopped living for God's glory rather rapidly in in his career as a king, even though he was in that place for a long time, really, and he started seeking his own glory. 
Therefore, I'll say it again, he resented David's success on every level. And he began to look for ways to take David out. The very one that God had used so mightily to deliver them from the hand of the enemy. He made several attempts on David's life and David, the Bible records, never tried to fight back. He just kinda, his reflexes were really good and, and he just ducked and, and knocked the spear away or whatever the case and he ran as needed because he was so respectful of the Lord's anointed. He said, I will never lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. David had, as a worshiper, such a tender conscience and he didn't wanna get ahead of Almighty God. At the beginning, King Saul felt remorse, but over time, his heart grew hard. But David kept doing what God wanted him to do. Listen, he kept waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. It's been a long time since he was anointed by Samuel to be a king. And he had such a long period of waiting In that waiting period, I can tell you, not only from David's life, but in ours as well, that when you do what God wants you to do, it involves waiting. And when you are following God's heart, it will invite opposition. We don't much like conflict, but if you're really following him, you will be embroiled in conflict from time to time. People will come after you, they'll come at you, they'll criticize you, they'll assassinate your character, whatever, every step of the way. They'll question your motivations, your heart, whatever, no matter how long they've known you. You will encounter pushback, so don't be surprised. And don't get an attitude, I don't read where David got an attitude, and don't waste your time, he's teaching us, try to defend yourself all the time, don't do it, just keep moving forward, don't react, choose your response, that's what David did every time. Did he not? over and over and over again. Well, David finally realized that this wasn't going to stop until someone got dead, and he thought that might be him. And he received wise counsel from the king's son, his beloved friend, bosom friend, Jonathan, and recognized that he needed to go on the run and make himself scarce from the king's presence. And he had to leave in such a hurry under the cover of darkness, and basically, he had no time to pack. And and he probably, evidently, what we see from the stories that unfolds, that, that he had no weapon in his hand. He had no sword in his hand. His men might have, but he didn't. He had to flee under the cover of darkness. This champion, this mighty man of valor. In other words, David didn't just react. He responded. He sought counsel and wisdom, and he, he sought accountability, and he moved forward even quickly with wisdom and caution. After making this necessary decision and taking action, David spent, listen, 10 years, the next 10 years on the run as a fugitive, anointed to be the next king on the run, fearing for his life. Where would he go? Where would he go? Where would you go when your world's turned upside down? What do you do? Where do you go? It's interesting if you read in the story and do as I suggested, reading the whole of David's life, he decided to go to a place called Nob. Isn't that a great name? I live in Nob. I live on, on Nob or whatever. But remember, if, if, you, if you do some digging, that that's where the tabernacle, the tent was set up at that time, and the ark was there in those days, and a high priest was there as well. Do you see a reoccurring in, in a pattern in David's life? He, he, he always seemed to go where God was. 
Another act, I will say, of worshiping. Not only was he on his knees in the brook getting wet, but another act of worshiping God first. That's what this was. And it would help prepare him for the difficulties and uncertainties that he was in that there seemed to be no end in sight of. They were looming in front of him. They were coming at, uh, across the horizon at him. So I like to say it this way, that David decided he needed to get himself to church. Hey, that's a good thing that you're here today by whatever means. And sometimes that's what we do. We're kind of careless and we get a little lazy, but when something comes up, a lot of times we get ourselves to church. Does anybody remember 9-11? Some of you weren't even born then. But if you remember that, I mean, there were record attendance of church attendance in America this few Sundays after that. It didn't last, but there were, because they figured they needed to get to church because there were situations going on that they could not figure out they were so afraid of. Well, that's what David did. Along the way, David and his straggling band of fighters, they were weary and hungry, and this little footnote, they went to see the high priest, and they were asking for help, because that's a good place to go, church to the high priest, asking for help, help. And he said, we don't have, I don't have anything I can give you, but I've got some bread here used for communion or, or that ceremony, and he gave it to them to eat, and that was concerned a rich, considered a ritual no, a no-no. And by the way, if, if you remember this event, I mean, that caused great problems later on, because remember when Saul would come after them for helping David at that time. That's another story, but it's all tied together. And Jesus, even in the New Testament, points back to the story of Ahimelech doing the right thing because he knew that God's priorities weren't religious procedures. They weren't then and are still not. God's into saving lives. Did you know that? And so that's where I was thinking about this, this scripture back Second Samuel later in 1414. And this is where, where the word is coming through a, a woman about, about restoration with David and his son. But there's a principle here. I've, I've used this in years past at funerals and various things, memorials. But listen to this. This is what they said. All of us must die eventually. Our lives, remember, our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered again. But God, listen, character, principle. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. Is anybody glad about that? That's what our God does. I love that. I love that. I love it. I was thinking about that and about this verse and about that time in life with Absalom as well. And I I was thinking that many times, how many of you know that God's grace is really messy? Because it goes against the grain. I mean, stuff happens in life and the people of Jesus need to receive and extend that grace to others because people in need must receive the grace that Jesus died to provide, but it often doesn't fit into a neat little box, does it? When the Holy Spirit whispers, now's the time to release that grace. When you don't understand, when you're not being treated fairly, whatever the situation may be. David and his men, the Bible said, ate and were satisfied. But before David and his men marched out, and this is where I'm gonna springboard from next week and delve into this more, he approached the high priest, Ahimelech, one more time with a question and a request. So I'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 21, verse eight. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, 
wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Do you think he knew 10 years ago that he was gonna need that same sword that he used to chop off Goliath's head? Do you think he knew that he was gonna need it again? And it isn't interesting, and I'll talk more next week, what in the world was it doing there? Huh, we need to delve into that a little more, and we will. So these stories are clearly connected, and so you'll have to tune in, come back next week to, to find the sequel. But when David killed Goliath and cut off his head with the giant's own sword, it had a long-range impact God was preparing the way for him ahead of time. Listen, 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 because that's what obedience does. Hey, obedience today has long-range effect and impact. You may never know how your obedience today will intersect down the road even 10 years later with an opportunity, a God-given opportunity, because you were obedient in the moment. But it requires obedience now, today, Think about it ahead of time. In most ways and most of the times, we're told that getting, don't get ahead of yourself. We hear that all the time. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't ever expect. That's not a good thing. I mean, you know, for example, it, it probably wouldn't be the best idea. I'm sure there's somebody that's done it. Please don't propose on your first date, okay? I'm sure, I'm sure so there's some love story. Oh, that's what we did. Oh, it's great. Well, you're an exception, not the rule. Oh, here's another one. Don't put an expensive pool in the ground based upon a bonus you hope you're gonna get. <laughs> and we hear it all the time. That's, that is getting the cart ahead of the horse, but this is different. Because in another sense, getting ahead of yourself might be a very good thing. In fact, it might be a God thing if you really think about it. Like Proverbs 4.26 says, ponder the path of your feet. I don't, I don't think that means just look down, look ahead, ponder the path you're taking, and let all your ways be established. That's good advice, isn't it? You doing all right out there? How about way up there in the grandstone? Stand. Do I have some friends on the back row up there? If you see me and hear me, wave at me. There you are. Look ahead with your eyes wide open. Hear me. Where are you headed? Where are your feet? Where are your path? Where are your choices taking you? Where are you gonna end up if you continue in the same direction? Is the path you're on, is it taking you where God wants you to go? Where you wanna go? So I think the scripture is telling us by preparing, it's okay to look back, but we really need to look ahead. Look ahead, look ahead. You can't see it all, but look ahead. It's like if you wanna be a safe driver, you don't just look at what's in front of you, you do, but you see the road ahead, don't you? You see the road ahead. You anticipate that deer in Ohio jumping out in front of you, don't you? You're looking for them. Well, many are content just to get by day to day, day to day, day to day. That's kind of the Eeyore way. Eeyore ceased to exist in my office, I'm sad to tell you. You'll have to ask me about it. I couldn't bring him in for an example today. You might want to succeed with as little effort as possible. 
What a ho-hum way to live. I mean, just settling. Do you find yourself just settling? You just get by, you're happy to just survive, but I don't think God just wants you to barely get by. I think he wants you to get ahead, and I think he wants you to thrive, and I think that he has plans for you. Do you believe that? That's the question. No matter what has been, he has plans for you. Any agreement out there? Psalm 23 could have been part of what was David, David was making up in the brook. I don't know, run across that field. But a couple of verses in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's what God does. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness and mercy are following you even along that ever-bending road of life. How many of you know that's true? And sometimes you have to look back to realize where you are and how far you've come and how far God's brought you by his grace. And that I would encourage you that no matter what has been, there's more ahead. And I believe it's always the best is yet to come. And God will use every bit of that heartache, every bit of the tragedy, every bit of the waiting, everything you don't understand. He'll use that to get you where he wants you to be, where you'll have a greater impact. But it starts where you are. It starts on your knees. It starts by getting to worship. That's where it all begins. If you think of David, it's faithful, 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 faithful. If you're faithful then, you're gonna be faithful now. If you were faithful back then, you'll be faithful when? Man, what a story. What a life. Don't you want what God has in store for you? Don't settle. Don't just settle. Think ahead. Plan ahead. Prepare for the battle. Well, Ephesians 3.20 says it. I love, I, I need to do a word study. I need to connect all these verses that I'm building about God's glory, but here it is in, in Ephesians 3.20. Now, now, now then, in light of all this, all glory to God. Huh? That's what we talk about, pointing and praising. Now, all glory to God. It doesn't say some. He gets the glory. Who is able through his mighty power at work where? Within us, through us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or even think. Is anybody encouraged by that scripture? You can put that on no matter where you are on the journey. No matter where you've been, no matter what the past is, you can claim that and say, you know what? It's not about me, it's about him, and he's got eternity to make it up for me, to explain it, whatever. I'm gonna be faithful now because I trust him. This world is not my home. I'm passing through. I want to make an impact. I want to plunder hell and inhabit heaven. I want to do everything I can to take other people with me. But my life is not my own. It was bought with a price. I'm living for your glory. And finally, have you heard this one lately? Pastor, write or you repeat yourself? Because that's what it takes for us to finally start getting it in our spirit. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you giving you what? The desire and the power to do what pleases him, to do what brings glory to his name. Where are you getting it from? Almighty God. But as I pointed out one service last week, here's the thing, between those two words, between the desire and the power, there's a little thing called our free will, and that's what we have to surrender to him. That's where we engage. I mean, we can have, how many of you had a desire, but you never act on it? You never do a thing about it. 
God gives you the desire, but you've got to surrender with your free will and say, God, the all-surpassing power and the greatness in me is you. It's your power. And David said, I'm going forth and I'm going to win the day because God is on my side. But he really meant, I'm on God's side. Are you?